I want to get right into what I have for you today. Um, so we're going to quickly just show where we've been the last few weeks uh, in this series on foundations. We'll just kind of shoot all of that up there. We have spent the first of the year uh, digging into these subjects, and it's kind of the tribal speak or the DNA of Faith Chapel. Now, every local house has its own DNA, every spiritual house, and we're, we're totally cool with that as long as we're built on Jesus. Um, every church has its different personality, different style, and they should. Aren't you thankful that God didn't make carbon copies, but he made originals? Aren't you thankful for that? So we're very grateful for that. So as we've been going over this, I'm not going to read any of these to you. Um, according to modern day Common Core, most of us can read this. So, so I'll leave that and let you explain it to somebody if they can't. Um, but if you want to take a picture of it, that way you'll know where we have been. And I want to get into what I have for you today. It's kind of a deep subject matter, um, but it's good stuff. And it's going to help you walk in the victory that you've already been given. And to illustrate it, um, I want to get right into the word, but you kind of start with a story. And so I'm going to start with a story. For those of you that don't know, I grew up in Columbia, Missouri, just outside the city limits of Missouri, attended New Haven Elementary School, New Haven Elementary School Warriors, all right? We were the warriors, brave and proud. And uh, kindergarten through eighth grade. The Columbia Public Schools were all K through six, and then they had the junior high schools and the high schools, but we were just outside the city limits, and we still had that small town mentality. Anybody who go through a K through eight elementary school? Is there anybody out there that did that? All right, so I, that we were in that K through eight, uh, went out for the seventh grade basketball team along with the rest of the guys in the seventh grade, and if you went out for the seventh grade team, guess what? you made the seventh grade team. Anybody else in a school that was that small? So we all, uh, the only problem with that, our seventh grade coach believed that because we all made the team, even though we had to have everybody make the team or you wouldn't have a team, um, everybody got equal playing time. And that doesn't always work really well. Socialism is a failed experiment. Can I just tell you that? And it even proves itself in basketball. Uh, even though um, it was a failed experiment, we did finish the season with an unblemished record. We did not win one game. We went 0 and 8. Uh, we lost to West Jr. twice, Oakland Jr. twice, Jeff Jr. twice. We lost to Ashland once, and the Ringer game, the one you schedule at the end of the year so that you can win against Columbia Catholic, that was a smaller school than us, we even lost the game against Columbia Catholic. So when the Catholics are beating you, you know things are really bad. Can I get an amen? All right, and not picking on anyone, just having fun. If you're offended, deal with it. But... Um, <laughs> Just, just having fun. So uh, we went 0-8, and, and, and Coach Brunda was depressed and refused to coach us in, in eighth grade. And Coach Loudenslager, a name that I still don't know how to spell correctly, Coach Loudenslager became our coach in eighth grade. And he was one of those coaches that encouraged you. Uh, have you ever had a coach that was just an encourager? He was the guy, he would come in, get red-faced, veins popping out in his neck. You make me so mad! I just want to rip your head off and spit down your throat. Just a real encourager, uplifting kind of guy. And that never really worked with me because when he would be talking about spitting down people's throats, I just, I'm a, I'm a visual guy. And I'm like, how's he going to get that back on after he's ripped it off? And, and does spitting your, down your throat actually help you with your free throws, you know? Hey, what happened with his shooting percentage? You know what? Ever since coach spit down his throat, the guy's on fire. He's never, he hasn't missed a shot since. So I would always be in kind of that visual moment, and then I'd space out, and then he'd be yelling at me, and I didn't hear half of it. That's okay. Season started. Coach Loudenslager, the great motivator that he was, the poet that he was. I'll never forget the pregame huddle 
before our first game to start the eighth grade year. We were opening up against St. Peter and Paul Catholic, Church, we, Catholic School. We were hoping that we could get this group. We couldn't beat Columbia Catholic, but how about St. Peter and Paul? Maybe we can take them down. And I'll never forget, we're in the pregame huddle. It's an away game. They had a small gym. All of us starting five are in there with our hands in the middle. All the other guys are surround us. And coach looked at us and he said, guys, guess what? They didn't win last year either. When he said that, the confidence level that popped in my, like, we're playing a bunch of losers. <laughs> We've got this in the bag. I mean, if you're playing people that can't even win a stinking game, how many know you're going to take it? Now, forget the fact we hadn't won a game, but it worked. We were all chanting and yelling and screaming. We went on the court thinking, we have already won this thing. And guess what? We did. Might have been the only game we won all year, but we won that game, all right? Now, what does this have to do with church? Everything. Everything. Because believe it or not, this really paints a picture of what happens for us when we're brought into the kingdom of heaven. We are absolute losers. We were separated. We were broken. We were addicted. We were lost. We were bound. As we talked about in scripture, we weren't just in darkness. We were darkness, right? But Jesus came and he rescued us from where we were. And all of a sudden you go from darkness to light, from loser to victory, from defeated to champion. I mean, doesn't scripture say greater is the spirit that is in us than the spirit that is in the world? Doesn't it say not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of the Lord of hosts? When does that happen? That happens when we accept Christ as our king. We go from being defeated to being victorious in the moment that we receive the work that Jesus has done for us. Do we really believe that Jesus saves us and sets us free and sets us apart? And then we face a, a foe that's already been defeated. Here's where the struggle comes in. Anybody else live on the earth? Okay, about half of us. That's good. The rest of you are artistic, all right? So uh, we live on the earth, and we see everything going on. The, the people that, as we were praying yesterday, that still pulled into the clinic to go and to terminate their children. We were there less than five minutes when the first car drives by and screams, you're going to have to pray more than that. And I thought, we will. We will. God's turning the tide in this situation. The younger generation is recognizing life in a way that my generation didn't. The tide's being turned. The prayers are being answered. But you can look and you can start. I could start naming things and you guys could name things and all the destruction and all the poverty and all the brokenness and all this stuff. And it can look like we're losing. I mean, it can look like we're losing. But we are so not losing. We are so not. And if we would recognize what we've been given... Our enemy that's been defeated, we would continue to see his agenda annihilated. Which brings us to the eighth thing about kind of faith chapel speak, and it would be this. Our defeated enemy has an agenda. Our defeated enemy, and I wrote it that way specifically because we do have an enemy, but he's already been defeated, but it doesn't change the fact that he has an agenda against us. So we have to learn to walk in all of the truth when it comes to this. We need to recognize that Jesus has already destroyed the destroyer. We need to recognize that the one that's destroyed the destroyer lives in us so that we walk in that same victory. And then we can acknowledge he has an agenda, but he doesn't have authority over me. So let's talk about it. Let's dig into it. Look in John chapter 12, verses 31 to 32. 
This is from one of the passages where God the Father speaks from heaven and Jesus hears it and some of the other onlookers hear it. Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He's talking to them about stuff. I'm not going to go through all the background of that. But at some point, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. It's like, it's like this prayer comes out of his heart. Father, glorify your name. And the heavenly Father responds. Jesus and the Father are so connected that the Father in this moment speaks and says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus, Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You know what happened? Immediately there was a response in the crowd. Some people were like, oh, it's thundering. I didn't even see the clouds rolling in. Where's this coming? There's thunder. Other people said, did an angel speak to him? It shows me that there were people, they had no discernment at all, but they still heard the noise. God spoke and they interpreted it in the natural sense rather than the supernatural. There were other people that had a sensitivity to the spirit, but they still didn't quite get it right. Some thought they heard thunder. Some thought they heard an angel and God said, this voice wasn't for my benefit. It was for your benefit. He was saying, I didn't need this voice from the father to do what I'm called to do, but this voice was to, it was for your benefit, so you can hear it, so you can grow in this. And then he follows it up with the word now. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men, all people, all mankind, everyone to myself. Let's talk about this. Jesus took this moment to say, now's the time. Now's the time, ultimately, as you can tell from the last sentence, when, when I'm lifted up from the earth, it was prophetic that he was going to go to the cross. Jesus said, now is the moment for me to go to the cross, which leads to the question, why? Well, the first part of it's answered at the end of the verse, because through the cross, Jesus draws everyone to himself. How many know that through the cross, we have been given reconciliation to God? Our sins, Jesus didn't die for his sins, he died for our sins. He didn't die for his brokenness, but ours, okay? Not his bondage, my bondage. He was my substitute, paid my price. The price for sin is death. Jesus covered it so that I could be brought close to God. But he also did something that's pretty miraculous. Through the cross, it says that the prince of this world will be driven out. Now, when I read the, the, the title Prince, first of all, I think of the artist formerly known as Prince, and I want to dance like it's 1999, but besides all of that, Purple Rain, besides every bit of that, I think about a title of authority. I typically think about a title that comes through DNA, right? If, if you're the king, your children are the prince and princesses, right? So they, they carry that authority. But we all know that, that Satan's not a child of God. He was created by God, but he's not a child of God. So then it, it makes me go, well, where did he even get his authority? And I have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. When I realized that God created Adam and Eve, and he empowered them with this incredible authority to go and to exercise the authority of heaven over the entire earth. Let me remind you that when the enemy himself partnered with a serpent to come in and deceive Eve and Adam. He didn't do that just because he wanted to hinder their fellowship with God. It wasn't just to make life more difficult. It wasn't just so that Eve would be depressed the rest of her life. When the enemy came into the garden, he came there for the authority that they had been given. They had been given authority to exercise the kingdom of heaven on earth. Let me remind you, 
We do not read in Scripture that the earth was perfect. We read that the garden was perfect. But where had a third of the angels that had, that had rebelled against God in heaven, where had they been banished? But to earth. So we've got a third of the former inhabitants of heaven that are in rebellion all around the globe. And God creates two people, which first of all should tell us that he's never been worried about numbers. And he gave them the authority so that they could not only be in that garden, but eventually leave that garden and exercise the dominion of God throughout the globe. And the enemy knew it. And he's like, I got to stop that from happening. I'm going to take what they have. And he obviously did it or Jesus wouldn't refer to him as the prince of the world. You don't tell tell the church that someone has authority if they don't have it. But Jesus also told us how he was getting rid of it. That he was going to do that through the cross. Through the cross, the prince of the earth would be driven out. Through the cross, we would be brought in. Here's the thought. The work Jesus did on the cross draws us to God from the earth and simultaneously drives out the prince of the world from the earth. It draws us from it, and it drives him from it. It brings us near, and it pushes him away, which leads to the question, why does it look like he's winning? Why does it look like there's so much bondage, so much addiction, so much brokenness, so much lack of justice? I mean, St. Charles County needs a revival. I mean, it might look really pretty, and middle-class income, and everything's okay. Have you read about the heroin issue in our county? Have you heard about the human trafficking that we battle in our county? Our county needs the presence of Jesus. We need a little bit of heaven on earth right here, right now. And yet God's word tells me the prince of the earth has been driven out. Here's the deal. Let me just ask you a simple question. How many of your children sometimes do what they shouldn't do? Let's be a little more personal. How many of you sometimes do what you shouldn't do? Let's be honest. How many of you have spouses that sometimes do what they shouldn't do? Finally, we get a response. Okay, that's yes. Chris, thank you for the honesty. And I, I've been praying for Chloe. I know that to be the case. There's no doubt about it at all. All right, definitely. But we, we get it. We do what we shouldn't do. I mean, Romans 7 even talks about that. I'm not going to preach it, but we understand that. So does the devil do what he shouldn't do? Yeah. Does he do things that God's word says he's not allowed to do? Yes, he does. Well, then how come he's doing them? Because we're not enforcing our position to stop him. Because we have more than he'll ever have. Look in 1 John 3, 8, one of my favorite verses. I'll say this 17 times today. We got a lot of verses. 1 John 3, 8. Are you listening quick? Because I got to speed up. It says this, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody that occasionally sins is the devil. This is more referring to if you're walking in a sinful pattern. I won't break all the Greek down, but this would be like continually partnering with sin, which I hope you're not doing. If you are, you're devilish. If you just make a mistake every once in a while, that's a whole different thing. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. Notice, the reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? Destroy the devil's work. Why did the Son of God appear? The Greek word for appear is epiphany. It's where we get the word epiphany. Why did Jesus show up? Why did he come on the screen, on the scene? John said pretty simply, was to destroy the work of the, of the devil himself. Now, The word for destroy here in the original Greek is the word apolome. It's one of my faves, apolome. There are times that apolome is translated as annihilate. There's sometimes it's translated as pulverize, crush, utterly destroy. Now it says here that the reason the son of God made his appearance was that he might crush the devil's work. 
He might annihilate the work of the devil. He might pulverize the work of the devil. He might make unrecognizable the work of the devil. Aren't you thankful that Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's work? What was his work? Well, remember, he took the authority from Adam and Eve at the beginning. The ultimate work of the enemy was to steal what we had been given. Jesus has already crushed that. No wonder we can say, greater is he that is within me. No wonder we can walk in the authority because everything that he he stole away, Jesus took back from him. He destroyed the work of the devil. Now, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus didn't just destroy the work of the devil, but he actually destroyed the devil? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, be thankful then because look in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is who? the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I love this. Since the children, and we are the children, since we're in flesh and blood, Jesus put on flesh and blood. He shared, the Greek word here is koinonia. He koinonia in our humanity. He had fellowship with our humanity so that by his death, he might apolome, pulverize, crush, annihilate, utterly destroy the one that holds the power of death. And the author of Hebrews wanted us to get it, so he made it obvious. Who holds the power of death? That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in, their, uh, held in slavery by their fear of death. He doesn't hold that power anymore. How you know Satan doesn't have mastery over death anymore? Because life trumps death just like lightness trumps darkness. He only has the power of death when you allow him to operate with that power of death. When God's word says that Jesus destroyed the one that holds the power of death, that is the devil. PB, what are you saying? I'm saying that when you face the enemy, you're facing someone that his work has been destroyed and he himself has been destroyed. He doesn't have power against you. He doesn't have authority over you. The problem is we tend to believe that he does. And we yield to his intimidation. And we get deceived by his deception. Look in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I know we got a lot today. Are you, are you going it with me? Are we on this journey? Okay. Colossians 3. After Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We all know that. He sent his Holy Spirit and he filled us with his power. Paul wrote this few years after that had taken place. And he's writing the church and he says, Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where what? Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now we're starting to transition. Not only has Jesus defeated the enemy and defeated death and ascended to the right hand of the Father, but according to God's word, I've been raised to that same place in Christ Jesus. God the Father is seated on the throne, and at his right hand, seated next to him, is his son. Now, I grew up on my grandpa's farm, and I'll tell you right now, you don't sit down until the job's done. That's just the way it worked. Grandpa didn't take a break. Hey, get your 10-minute break, morning, morning break. No. You threw the hay bales until the hay bales were all picked up. You took care of everything until everything was done, and when it was done, then you took a seat. You don't rest till the work's done. Jesus sat at the right hand of his father because the work is finished. Jesus was on the cross. He said, it is finished. He'd already defeated death. 
He'd already defeated the enemy. He'd already done the work that the Father had called him to do. And then he ascended to the right hand of God and he sat down. We don't have to worry. The work's been accomplished. And not only did he sit down, but according to Scripture, I have been raised with Christ in Christ Jesus. How many of you are in Christ? You're in Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. If you're in Christ, you're going to love this. Then not only are you here, you're there. For those of you that are bipolar, this is easier to understand. (laughs) We keep them all in the back left. It's good to see all of you guys back there. About 27 of you. Thank you. And there's only four people, but you know how it works. No, it... You get this. I love, I love memorizing the Bible, and I, I love memory verses, and I think it's good. I don't, I don't want to act like it's not good. Sometimes the problem is if we just give a random verse, we will get it, and we'll be so out of context with it that we won't understand what the Scripture was saying. And I did that in my own life with verse 2 of chapter 3, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And I would kind of use it for anything. You know, I, I want to give more money to missions, and then I see a refrigerator that I want to buy. Because how many know you need a refrigerator with a television and, and, and a hand that comes out and pats you on the cheek when you get water? And how many know what I'm talking about? All right, you need, we need these things. And, and I see, and I'm like, I want to give more money to missions, but I really want that. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to set my mind on things above. I'm going to set my mind on things above. Now, it works, but it's not contextual. Contextual, it's so much more than just giving more money to missions. And I'm not going to give in to that temptation because I'm going to set my mind on It's so much bigger than that. How many know that home is where the heart is? Do you know where your home is? You're at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. No wonder, he says, you need to set your heart there because your home's already there. By authority, your physical body might be here. But in the authority of the Spirit, you're at the right hand of the Father. You need to set your heart where your authority is. And one of the ways that you do that is you set your mind on things above. How many of you have ever faced a spiritual battle? Three of us. Good. Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. So you picked the wrong church if you don't face spiritual battle because you'll face them now (laughs) if you're here. It's just the way it works, all right? Um, Do you ever read any of Frank Peretti's books? This present darkness, piercing the darkness, shooting the darkness, killing the darkness, kicking the darkness. There's still yet more darkness. Have you ever read any of those? Okay. Good residual royalty income. Any truth or all truth is God's truth. All truth, if, if it's truth, it's God. And there's a lot of truth in that series, but not everything in that series is truthful. It was fictitious. It wasn't infallible scripture. Okay. Kind of like the shack. Man, you can get a lot of encouragement from that, or you can be religious and go, I want to fight with everybody watching it. It, If it's true, it's God's true. Okay, so you can receive what God has for you, and you can spit out what you don't want. You ever do that when you go to somebody's house to eat? I mean, you don't actually spit it out, but you kind of move. Have you ever moved stuff around? You're like, oh, wow. That is pleasant. That is not. I shall move stuff around. When my kids look away, I'm going to put more on their plate so it doesn't look, you know, Tommy, he just never finishes the meal. You know what I'm talking about? So you go to a movie, and what encourages you, encourages you, and what doesn't, spit it out. Quit fighting with other Christians about it. Drives me insane. We do this all the time. Church always does this. Have you ever read when Jesus said, you, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel? You ever read that passage? You ever, have you ever wondered what on earth that meant? How many thought that? They weren't even smoking camels back then. 
They, I mean, they had filters, right? They, did, they, didn't, they wouldn't have done a, a camel. What, what on earth did that mean? You were, they were so legalistic about following the letter of the law that a gnat was the smallest unclean animal. And if you were a real follower of God, Yahweh, God, okay? If you're a real follower of Yahweh, you didn't even say Yahweh. It was the silent name. And, and when you drank water, you would put a filter over your water cup in case a gnat got in your water so that when you drank it, you didn't swallow a gnat so that you could be pure before God. And Jesus looked at this group of people and he's like, you, you drink through a stinking filter and you swallow a camel, which is one of the larger unclean animals. I don't know if you've ever seen a camel couple of humps. They're rather large, okay? If you haven't seen one, I'm sure one will give birth sometime on Facebook, and you'll watch it for the next five years of your life and let your life get away from you. I, I understand how this works, okay? All right. Why was he saying that? You know, he was saying that because they were worried about straightening out a gnat, and then they got mad at him for healing a crippled man on the Sabbath day. How dare you heal a crippled man? Yeah, how dare me be so loving? Had people even with that movie. Pastor Brad, how dare you go see it? You know what? I cried. Love, love just touched me in that movie. I'm, I'm not going to preach on it. It's not infallible, but I could feel the love of God. I, I, I don't know about you. I kind of like the love of God. It's good. I enjoy it. So when I see scriptures like this, I need to keep them in context. I set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. I don't want religion to divide us over, do you strain out your water before you drink it or not? Did you see that movie or not? Do you attend on Sunday every week or not? Are you an early devoted service person or are you a, a more compromising late service person? Okay. Mm -hmm. And obviously you are. Here we stand. Think about it. We put our minds on the things above the earth because our authority in Christ is above the earth. That's why we put our minds there. That's where our authority is. I want you to know if you walk into a room with people that aren't living for God and they're intimidating you, you're in a business deal. You know what? You just walked in with more authority than they'll ever understand. Ever. If you walk into a situation at work where you're being persecuted and attacked and people aren't walking with God, when you walk into that room, you've just walked in with more authority that you're at the right hand of the Father. Why let man intimidate you? God's word says the fear of man is what? A snare. Thank you. The one of you that reads your Bible on a regular basis. Dear Lord. All right, no. The fear of man's a snare. It's a trap. Why would I be afraid of man if I'm at the right hand of the Father? What can man do to me if I'm at the right hand of the Father? What power do they have over me if I'm at the right hand of the Father? I don't need to worry. I need to set my mind on things above. Look at Romans 16, 19, and 20. It says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Now we're going to bring in that whole Frank Peretti thing. Some people will fight for the present darkness, piercing the darkness, overcoming the darkness, less darkness, more light series. And I love that that series helped us learn more about spiritual warfare and spiritual battle. But one of the things that if we're not careful that will affect us negatively from that, have you ever read about a stronghold in your community? About there being a strong, notice how even I'm talking about it, I'm lifting my hand, right? A stronghold in your community. I talked about our heroin struggles here. Human trafficking, addiction, abuse, stronghold in our community that needs to be broken. 
But the challenge from that series was you almost had the image that we were down here in prayer and we're looking up at that stronghold saying, come down and be broken. If you're looking up at a stronghold, you're fighting from the wrong perspective. Because according to God's word, even if a stronghold is, under your, is over your city, it's still under your feet because you're in heaven. So we don't, we don't get intimidated by strongholds over our city. We actually look at them from being up in heaven with God and we say, no, heroin abuse, you're coming down. Violence against women, you're coming down. Abuse over children, you are breaking. I am releasing the authority of heaven over you because God's already destroyed you. And as a matter of fact, you're soon going to be crushed underneath my feet. There are times that when I'm praying about an area in spiritual warfare, I literally envision stepping on the face of Lucifer over and over and over again. And he can't stop me because he's defeated. He can't stop me because he's under my feet. He can't stop me because I'm hidden in Christ Jesus and Christ is at the right hand of the Father and Jesus already defeated everything that needed to be defeated. We fight from a position of victory. Every stronghold of the enemy is under your feet. Is there a battle? You better believe there is. But you're battling St. Peter and Paul Catholic Church and they didn't win a game last year. You're battling an enemy that has already been destroyed. An enemy whose work has already been defeated. So, our defeated enemy has an agenda. I have focused this whole time on the fact our defeated enemy. He is. But he does have an agenda. We need to talk about it. So let's look a little bit at his nature. We'll call it Satan's nature, number one. This will help you in your daily life if you will put this into practice and learn from these principles, okay? Number one, Satan's nature. He is a tempter. God doesn't tempt you. James 1, it's either 13, 14, or 15. I think it's 15. Maybe it's, maybe it's 12. It's in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Question, question number one for 20 points. Does God tempt you? No. He can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt you. Okay, he doesn't do that. Jesus said, he even had us pray that prayer. Father, lead me not into what? Temptation. So we have the knowing about the Father that he doesn't tempt us. And Jesus even said, even more than that, let's just pray that we're not even led into temptation. God doesn't tempt us. Let's pray that God will help keep us from temptation. Have you ever done something you shouldn't do? Three of you. Wow, that's a miraculous. Have you ever done something that you shouldn't do that you knew you shouldn't have been there in the first place anyway? There have been times I felt it in my heart. I'm like, if I go there, this is not going to put me in the best situation to win. But I didn't exercise the fruit of the Spirit and self-control, and I went. And I didn't put myself in the best position to win. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Right after that famous verse, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, flee from idolatry. There are some times in life, if you know everything's destruction in that room, why walk into it? Father, lead me not into temptation. Hey, mom, if I go to that party, I am worried that bad things are going to happen. Well, then don't worry. You're not going to that party. But mom, 
You just said you were worried that bad things were going to happen. Part of my role is to be a covering for you, not your friend. I am looking forward to the day that Sophia and Emma are just great friends with Beth and I. But that's not today. They're my children. They're in my home. And it's covering. And you do what is necessary for covering because you provide protection for your children. I just love it when parents, when their kids are you know, 14, 15, they're like, I'm just so tired, I'm just done with it. <laughs> wow, done with it. I'm sure they've got everything by the time that they're 14 that they're going to need to be successful and victorious. We, we don't get to be done with it. We don't get to be done. Some of you, they're 57, they move back in the house. God saved the queen. I don't even know what to say to that. I just... In that situation, my only answer is move and don't tell them where you went, okay? I mean, if they've taken you for that much, just give them the house and go to Hawaii, all right? And live on the beach. At least it's warm there, okay? He's a tempter. God doesn't tempt you. Jesus doesn't tempt you. The enemy tempts you. Number two, he's an accuser. When he tempts you and then you blow it, he likes to remind you that you blew it. He mocks you. He ridicules you. We've got this incredible verse in Zechariah 3.1 that says, Then he, God, showed uh, Zechariah the prophet, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And what? Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. I don't even like this. Zechariah had a vision of heaven. And in heaven, here is God and Joshua, the high priest that's been saved from all this sinfulness that was in the priesthood, and he's been brought before the presence of God, and there's Satan going, Joshua's a loser, he's rebellious, he is greedy, he is hungry for nothing but himself, he's a manipulator, he's at his right side to accuse him. And eventually, Jesus speaks up and says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Was not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, you're not telling me anything about him I don't know. Yeah, he was on a path to destruction. That's why I rescued him. That's why I saved him. How many know what the name Satan means? It means accuser. In the original Hebrew, it means accuser. In the original Greek, it means accuser. So literally, you could read this. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and the accuser standing at his right side to accuse him. How many of you know the enemy does who he is? He does what he is. How many of you have ever been tempted and sinned, and then were condemned immediately? That's the enemy. He tempts you. He says, hey, look, this is what I have for you. This is going to be fine. And if you don't take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ, that thing that's not fine can look fine. And that thing that looks fine leads to destruction. And when you make the choice for that thing that leads to destruction, the enemy's not done. It wasn't just to get you to be tempted to that thing. But once you've chosen that thing, then he's like, oh, you're the biggest loser. You're not a daughter of God. You're not a son of God. You're a stepchild. Nobody wants you. You're never going to be what God wants you to be. Nobody's failed God the way that you failed God. He doesn't even hear your prayers. How can you lift your hands in worship, you hypocrite? You're not going to be what you think you're going to be. Your dad was an abuser, so are you. Your grandpa was a drunk, so are you. 
you were abused, you're going to abuse. It's what you do. It's really quiet in here because we've heard the lies. We know them. And he throws them at us, and it's perpetual, and he doesn't stop, and he keeps lying to us because he tempts, and then he accuses. And then number three, he deceives because he's a deceiver. How many of you have ever met a really good liar? Okay. How many of you have ever bought a car? No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's just a joke. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. If you have children and you're trying to decide if they're healthy in the morning before you to send them to school or not, have you ever been in that moment? Oh, oh. Sophia, and it's not even fair because as many of you know, we've had to battle her recovery from a stomach virus she got last October that we've had to deal with that's been crazy. So she wouldn't fake this anymore, ever again. Because previously, on ER, previously every once in a while, she might try something like that. And as a parent, you're trying to be discerning. How do you love your children? About half. That's pretty good. Considering what you've been through, that's really good. God bless you guys. Um, You love your children. You don't want to send them to school sick, but you don't want them to miss if they're not sick and fall behind. And you recognize that when it comes to school, there is a propensity to partner with deception from time to time. It's one of the temptations that comes our direction. Can I get an amen? How many of you have ever called in for a personal sick day when really it was just a sick of work day? And you found a way. You're like, I am so sick of work. I'm not going to be able to make it. I just feel horrible about the person in the cubicle next to me. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So it's something that can be battled from time to time. And, and so there have been times Sophie's like, oh, I just feel so horrible. And, I'm, and I tend to be the softy in our house. I'm like, baby, look at her. Look at the perfect little creation that God gave us. Just precious. She doesn't feel good. Baby, you just go back to sleep. Daddy will bring you a wet cloth and some water and some fruit loops. And you just go rest and everything's going to be okay. And hour and a half later, you hear something and she's in there doing a YouTube dance and she's breaking down. And you're like, what is going You know, I'm really feeling better. It's just, God is so good. I prayed, he answered, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. We probably could make it into school. Ooh, spiritual attack, spiritual attack. Sometimes these victories don't last all day, dad, right? Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? And then there's other times when you send them and you get the phone call from school. Hey, uh, Sophie puked all over the hallway today. You're like, she's such a great faker. She is carrying this all the way. She has a 105 degree temperature. Wow, she is committed to this thing. I knew she was lying. You keep her today. She's going to get through, right? I mean, you can't even discern if your kids are honest with you about how they feel. He's a deceiver. And he's amazing. Pastor Brad, how amazing is he? That's a great question. He is so amazing that Adam and Eve had never sinned, and he deceived them. They'd never sinned. You have, but they hadn't, and he deceived them, and they bit it. How about even go back even farther than that? We read in Scripture that Lucifer, that we call Satan, the accuser, the devil, he was one of the cherubs that helped lead worship in heaven. We don't know how long he was there. He wasn't there forever because only God's forever. But at some point in forever, God created angels. 
And of those angels, Lucifer was one of them. And there was worship taking place to God. And one day, sometime, Lucifer decided he wanted it. And so not only did he rebel against God, but he got a third of heaven to go with him. How good are you at deceiving if you can deceive angels that were in the presence of God? If he can do that, you don't have it all figured out. Pastor Brad, I, just, I have the spirit of truth in me. I just don't think that the, the enemies ever deceive me. If you're saying that, you're deceived. And I do believe you have the spirit of truth. And I do believe that we're to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, but he's really good at what he does. Look in John chapter 8, verses 44 and verse 44. I realize I went plural with verses 44 when there's really only just one verse 44, so I apologize. John 8, 44 says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his what? Native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus says, yeah, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. The religious crowd never wants to believe the truth. It is amazing. One of the things I struggled with early on as a pastor was that I couldn't make people's decisions for them after I gave them decent advice. I really struggled with that. I'm like, man, there's a stronghold in your life. You need to repent of this. You need to renounce it. You need to rebuke it. Let's get some inner healing. Let's walk through. Ah, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm like, your own way brought you here miserable. Hi, I can handle this. Obviously, you can't handle this. Let's look at what Scripture says. Have you, have you looked to see what the scripture says? Ah, no, 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 I just wait for the scriptures on Sunday. I mean, if you're waiting for the scriptures on Sunday, you are waiting way too long. And let's face it, you're getting them from my interpretation. And it's not flawless. I mean, it's as close as you can get in the natural. It's not. Have you ever read your Bible? Okay. And after reading your Bible, you've developed an interpretation about something, and then five years later, you realize that your interpretation about what you had read five years earlier was incorrect? You ever done that? There are some things I preached in our first couple of years at Faith Chapel. I look back, I'm like, ooh, heresy. That wasn't even biblically accurate. They should have stoned me and left me for... Right? I, we're growing. We're all growing. We have the spirit of truth, we have the sword of the spirit, we have the word of God, we have relationships with one another, but we are not infallible. I am not infallible. Say it with me. I am not infallible. Some of you didn't say that. Is it hard to say that? It, I, we're not infallible. Jesus is speaking to the religious crowd. Think about it. The son of God was right in front of them. And they chose to believe the devil rather than Jesus. He's like, you want to kill me because you're following your father. How dare you say that? Well, that's exactly what happened. Okay? Why? Because he's a really good deceiver. He's a tempter, an accuser, a deceiver. Last one. You're going to love this one. He's a loser. All right? He's a loser. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, Having disarmed the principalities and powers... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It is 1222, and I feel like I'm supposed to refer to the context of this verse, which I did not do for the early service, but I like you guys more. I want you to know that. I, this later group, you connect with me. I feel it more with you guys, so I'm going to give you this. Um, I'm going to try to do it quick because we're still going to be done by 1230-ish. All right. 
This phrase, making a public spectacle of, was something that was taking place throughout the Roman world at the time that Paul wrote the church in Colossae. Okay, this is the Christians in Colossae. And he says that Jesus disarmed powers and authorities. You're going to love this. He disarmed power and he made a public spectacle of them. As the Roman Empire was expanding and they were conquering new territories, they would take like the generals of an area or maybe the, the mayor or the city council, when they would conquer a new area, they would strip them naked, they would put shackles around their wrists, and the chain would come down to their ankles, and then that chain would go up to the wrist of the next prisoner, down to his ankles, and they would form this chain gang of, of former authorities and former leaders, and they would march them to Rome if they were in marching, within marching distance. If they weren't within marching distance, they would put them on a boat, and they would ship them to Rome. And when they arrived in Rome, the citizens would gather, and they would line the Hall of Heroes, this great avenue that led up to where the Caesar's palace was. And they would line that, and as this new general with the Roman army was bringing in his prisoners and everybody was applauding him for winning a new victory and all the prisoners were chained wrist and ankles and they were presented to the Caesar to say I have conquered another territory and it is now underneath your dominion it's underneath your reign what does this have to do with any of this it's the exact same phrase in the Greek that Paul used when he referred to Jesus conquering death hell the grave and demons that he disarmed them. He stripped them of their authority. He stripped them of their power. He chained them up, and then he marched them through the heavens and presented them before his father as a defeated foe and said, the earth that had been taken has been given back to you. Let your authority reign. Come on, church. If I was preaching in Alabama... They'd have shouted me down before I got through that. I'll just tell you that right now. Tell you that right now. We serve a king that has chained the enemies of darkness and made a public spectacle of them. That parade was referred to as making a public spectacle of your enemy. Man, our enemy has been defeated. He is a loser. And we need to make sure that we're enforcing that he's already lost the battle. So here we go. Let's wrap it up by God's grace, God's promise. Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you, your mom spoke this over you. Your grandparents spoke this over you. If you didn't have the privilege of having a parent or a grandparent speak this over you, then you speak it over you and you speak it over your children and your children's children. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They're plans to give you hope in a future. Do you remember where Israel was when God gave them that promise? They were exiled in Babylon, 70 years of slavery, oppressed, separated from Jerusalem, separated from the temple of God. I want you to know you need the promises of God not when everything's going well. You need them when you're in hell. You need them when you're struggling. And when they were struggling and they were enslaved and they were in captivity, the Lord said, this is not what I have for you. Your future is not defeat. Your future is not slavery. Your future is not oppression. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I'm going to give you hope, and I'm going to give you a future. 
If that's God's promise and plan for us, then we need to be honest that the enemy's agenda would be the opposite of that, which is why John 10.10 says the thief comes only. I'm going to pause there. Only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I came that you may have life and have it to the full or have it to the max or have it abundantly. Listen, if God wants you prospered and blessed, the enemy wants you broke and defeated. If God wants you healed, the enemy wants you sick. If God wants you strong, the enemy wants you weak. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think it's time as the house of God, we wake up to the fact that he's defeated, but he has an agenda. And if things aren't going right and you're feeling it and you're like, I wonder if this is an attack, quit wondering. It is an attack. Stand up in Jesus' name. Take the authority that you've already been given. He took it back. The prince of the earth was driven out. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work and walk in the victory that you already have. Come on. All right, we're going to shoot up the last slide. We'll put it all up here at once. I won't preach it. We don't have time for me to preach it. But if you've read about the armor of God, you know that there are several pieces of armor. We've talked about it at Faith Chapel before. We just don't have time to talk about it today. But... If you'll notice, every one of these things give you something when it comes to the enemy's attack against your life. Um, the first thing, and I put them in the order that the scripture says, is you put on the belt of truth. Well, the reason we put on the belt of truth is because the enemy's a liar. What does John 14, 6 say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 8, 32, what does that say? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How about John 17, 17? Remember that one? Sanctify them by truth. Thy word is truth. The first thing that we need is an encounter with truth. Okay? This next thing is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate. I, I love that it says breastplate of righteousness. I don't know if I've told you before, back when Beth and I traveled full time, I ministered at this church where the pastor was one of the most legalistic people I'd ever met, met in my life. And we went out and he ordered lunch. Are you ready for this? He ordered a chicken chest sandwich. I looked at his wife, I said, what did he say? She said, he, he ordered a chicken chest sandwich. Pastor won't say the word breast. <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody with issues? I, really. It's, I always wondered how he preached this passage. And God has given you a chest plate of righteousness. For if you say breastplate, you're no longer righteous, right? Why does the breastplate come after the belt of truth? Do you realize that when they put on their, their garb for, for war, the belt went first because that breastplate would tuck into that belt. If you didn't have the belt on, your breastplate didn't stay in place. So the reason Paul mentioned things in the order he did is because it gives us revelation. I have a breastplate of righteousness because the enemy's an accuser constantly. My shoes are fitted with the gospel of peace. By the way, that doesn't mean I just go out and bring everybody into peace with God. I'm supposed to, but it also means that because I'm a person with the gospel of peace, we bring peace to one another, okay? So why don't you take a picture of that? If, I, I won't take the time to talk about it anymore. It's 1230. Take a picture of that, tweet it, Facebook it, do that stuff. But notice the last thing that it says, pray in the spirit. 
and release each uh, and, re- and release each of us into heaven's best. All of the armor protects you from strategies and, and stuff of the enemy. But when you pray in the spirit, you release heaven on earth. You release heaven on earth. That's a lot of stuff today. And it's hot in here. Anybody notice that? We live in Missouri where it, it's hot and then it's cold. And, or am I the only one? It, it, man, I'm on fire. All right, so we need to get out of here. Let's stand up together. It is hot on this platform. I think it's the full 12-inch elevation that we have in this small location that, uh, that does that. Um, we'll leave that up for a second so you can take a picture of it. Listen, uh, I know we're getting casual here at the end, primarily because I'm getting casual here at the end, and I realize that. But I'm sharing this with you because this is part of the DNA structure of our church. We have to know that our enemy's defeated but we cannot be unaware that he has an agenda. We just can't. Was the armor of God given to us before Jesus ascended to heaven or after? It's after. Was it before the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit or after? It's after. So Jesus has risen. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders are normal. You still need the armor of God. Because it's still a battle with a defeated foe. God, I thank you for your sons and daughters and the things that you're doing in each of their lives. Um, I know your word says that you know the plans you have for us. And so I know in general, all of us, you want to prosper us. You want to give us hope and you want to give us a future. But I also know within that, there's so many different things that you have for each of our lives. And any, any minister would be foolish to say that we know what you have for everyone in a room. That would just be foolish. So I pray that under the umbrella of your prosperity, your hope, and your blessings for the future, I ask that every one of your sons and daughters would be led by your spirit into everything you have for them. I pray that each family in this house will be blessed. Each family. I ask that they'll all walk in the victory they've been given. I pray that the accusations from past failures and mistakes would fall dead in the name of Jesus and that they would walk in the fullness of the security of what you've done for them. I pray as well as they walk in that fullness that they'll know now better how to avoid that tempter and that accuser and that deceiver and to take every step knowing that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath their feet. Bless them. Smile on them. Thank you for loving them. Before I dismiss you today, is there anyone in this house that what you need to do more than anything is ask Jesus to be your king, to be your Lord? Um, when I was growing up, we, asked, oh, we talked a lot about asking him into your heart. You know what Jesus said? He would just say, follow me. Just follow me, and I, I, I'm going to keep it that simple if, if you're not following him, but you're like, I, I want to follow him. I, I want to follow him. If that's you, you're, you're not following him right now, but, but you, you want to. You're like, yeah, Pastor Brad, I want to follow Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift up a hand? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pray over you in that decision that you're making to be a follower of Christ. Is there anyone that today's your day to choose to follow? 
God's word says today's the day of salvation. This is the day that we have to, to receive him. And I don't want you to miss that opportunity if God has that for you today. All right, then am I talking to family? Is this sons and daughters of Jesus? Then I tell you what, walk in your identity and change this community for the glory of Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.